From the Omaha Bugle Global News Headquarters, this is the Global News Network with Senior Correspondent Jeff Weaver and Senior Correspondent Adam Von Romer. Ah, Mr. Weaver, once again we find ourselves at the news desk of the Omaha Bugle's Global News Network, and it's time to get another riveting episode of our show started. And today, I think my favorite topic du jour is going to be the recent coronation of the new King of England, and all of the attendant paparazzi chases and luncheons that went on after that. So, if you'd like to join me, I'll welcome you to the news desk again. Well, thank you, Adam. It's always great to be here, and I am equally anxious to begin our discussion of the coronation festivities. I would like to point out, though, and I guess it was an oversight with the Buckingham Palace staff, that I did not get an invitation to the coronation. Well, that was going to be one of the central topics of my conversation, too. It appears... And this is just purely hypothetical and speculative on my part, but the royals aren't as royal as they once were. Because, you know, I did not get an invitation, you certainly did not get an invitation to the coronation. And how the current, let's say, royal family could snub the Omaha Bugle to me is just absolutely inconceivable. I, I can't imagine. I mean, you know, we almost bought CNN last year after passing the hat around the office for the buyout money. So, you know, we're a big player these days. Well, you know what? If everything goes according to Hoyle and we've landed Tucker Carlson, as a certainly projected, then, you know, I think we've got pretty much all the bases covered. But, you know, I we didn't even get a chance to do a program from afar. They scheduled it. They didn't consult us about the time or anything. And, and you know, we're pretty much in the cold here. Well, yeah. And, oh, uh, Adam, did want to mention one thing about the Tucker Carlson negotiations. Uh, apparently, he's a little miffed about having to share a office cube with one of our interns. So we're trying to work that out. I did point out to him that the vending machines are very close by, which I view as a you know a significant benefit of that location. But we're still right. working on it. And I'll let you know. I don't know if Tucker really realizes that uh, you have to pay your dues before you get up the corporate ladder in the journalism world. So we'll see how it goes. Well, you know, again, it's just a case of recognizing his position in the hierarchy and certainly the overall pecking order. And hopefully he'll get that straightened out. But, you know, what I what I wanted to talk about is, you know, certainly the notion of, you know, the monarchy. And, and yeah, I got to tell you, in a certain sense of the, you know, certain aspect of this whole thing is a little saddening troubling to me because, you know what, I actually enjoyed the Queen and her madcap antics, and I was thinking to myself, and I was just kind of sniffing around doing a little bit of looking at stuff, and I don't know if you recall, but a few years ago, she was having trouble with, I want to say, Windsor, and it had required some extensive renovations, and there was questions and stuff, you know, how they were going to afford that, and how they were going to put that together, so just because at that time, money was an issue, I believe, and certainly the revenues from her holdings in basically all of downtown one didn't seem to be adequate to cover that. So I'm wondering if part of the, the coronation and the, the subsequent big lunch and all the fundraising wasn't some kind of a sop, if you will, to give back to the community for the, I think it was six or $800 million worth of renovations that had to be done to the, the palace. Apparently there were some roof leaks and you know some things like that, which is certainly not representative of the monarchy, at least the, the monarchy that uh, we've all grown to know and love. And, you know, I got to tell you on a certain level, well, Charles certainly is the lineal descendant and heir to the throne. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm not feeling it. You know what I mean? He just, it just like he doesn't seem to have that 
air of, you know, that regal air that his mother had. And maybe I'm mistaken. Maybe I'm missing something. I mean, maybe you might have seen something else, but I certainly have not. Well, Adam, I think, unfortunately for Charles, he's come up at a time where, you know, people are frankly less deferential to the whole idea of a monarchy. And, you know, his whole life has been on tabloid front pages from the time he was born, pretty much. So Mm -hmm. he's been in the public eye, and everything he's done, good or bad, you know, the various issues he had with Diana and Camilla have all been noted. Whether that was all true or not, not for us to say, but it's all been documented. So he's been shown to have, at least in many persons' eyes, uh, feet of clay. And Queen Elizabeth, I know, but shocking as that is, but but, you know, all I was going to say is that Queen Elizabeth, you know, she she became queen, I think, in 1952, maybe, or something like that. Oh, it was a while and, ago, uh, for sure. Yeah, and there was still something of a British empire left, although it was largely fragmenting, because, you know, Britain was basically economically devastated by World War II. They couldn't really mm-hmm. afford to keep the empire going. So I just think it's a different era. You know, it's an era where people like knocking things down, and I think that includes the monarchy. And I think Charles's task, quite frankly, is to sort of make it seem relevant in an era where more and more people really don't think much of it. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, is a tough task. Also, you know, what doesn't help is Charles has become kind of standoffish. You know, you recall that we started that Rent-A-Royal program a few years ago to come help help give a lot of the lower-end royals some work, you know, like showing up ribbon cuttings at IHOP openings and, you know, movie theater openings and things like that. And, you know, we had made overtures to Queen Elizabeth. She, you know, she, she never really responded, but that would have been quite a coup if we could have gotten her. Well, but then I tried it, it Prince listened, Charles. All, yeah, and I was going to say, but mm-hmm. Jeff, in all fairness, I mean, she was, you know, she was getting a little, I'll say, a little mature for that. Well, yeah, that's true. And I, I suppose she probably didn't want to cross the Atlantic just to do a ribbon-cutting ceremony at a Bob's Big Boys. But it, it would have been steady work, you know. Well, and, yeah. and it would have shown her as trying to help pay back some of these public dollars that have been floated to keep the whole monarchy afloat. But, you know, Charles, we talked to a few times and through his representatives, he indicated that he might consider, you know, showing up at one of our store openings with our broadcast crew. But I tell you, Adam, mm-hmm. ever since he became king, nothing, nothing. Just absolutely unresponsive. Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. It, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, it seems like the royal family is not so regal anymore and, and certainly not nearly as gracious as they once were. Because like you I, said I, I, no, I, correctly, yeah. mm-hmm. our, our overture No, all I was going to say is, yeah, no, they were. What's interesting, though, is the much maligned Prince Andrew, who had a few little social scrapes of his own and a few faux pas. He's been very willing to sign up for any spots we have available for ribbon cutting ceremonies, uh, school appearances, be an extra at a a wedding, you know, like a plus one for wedding guests. I mean, he's been very, very receptive. And frankly, if you said, can I have Prince Andrew show up, oh, next year, August 12th at four o'clock in Cincinnati, for a wedding. He'll be there. He'll mm-hmm. be there. I mean, you could say, well, he needs to work with maybe, but that's the kind of spirit we like. Now, the other people who've been a little problematic are uh, with our Ren Royal program is, you know, Harry and Megan. Ugh. God, you know. Wow, that that was going to be my next topic. I mean, what is with the staged? I, I mean, is that the, you know the paparazzi chase? Is that a, a vainglorious attempt to make themselves relevant again? Or I mean, how do you see that? 
Well, you know, it's interesting because this supposedly was a two-hour chase on the streets of New York. Now, Adam, I lived in Manhattan for six years, and frankly, if you could get a chase that exceeded 15 or 20 miles an hour for more than a few blocks, you were doing really well because, you know, as well as I do, Manhattan is gridlocked most of the time. And I'm kind of, yeah, I'm kind of wondering, you know, because the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, which I guess is what they go by, you know, they, they keep telling us they want to be left alone. They want their privacy. I'm kind of wondering if they were chasing the paparazzi to try and get their pictures taken, you know, to help with their efforts to be more private and off well, the radar. Yeah. Well, that that's certainly a, an aspect of that whole high-speed chase that should be considered because, as you said, I mean, there is no high speed in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. You know, in fact, my nephew was a delivery driver in Manhattan, and he delivered on a bicycle, and that was effectively the only way he could get anywhere in a timely fashion. Now, unless the, the entire paparazzi chase was being you know, unfolded on the subway system, yeah, I, I just don't see how you get anywhere. I mean, you like I said, you, you said it. You've lived there. You know what it's like. You, you know, you just don't get anywhere quick. And I don't care what you know, time of day it is. Yeah, it's an interesting idea, Adam. A paparazzi chase on the subway. I'm trying to imagine Harry and Megan going down the IRT station at 96th Street with a paparazzi chasing after them. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, that doesn't really sound to me like something that's going to be a very likely occurrence. But well, but we digress. I did want to tell you, though, for the Rent-A-Royal program, I did try and reach out to them. But they said that I was interfering with their privacy. That, of course, what? was after they sent out. Yeah, well, Apparently, they said it would interfere with their privacy, but that was right after they sent out their daily agenda for the next five months to anybody who cares to listen, just so people would know when not to interfere with their privacy and where. (laughs) When not to. I love that. When not to interfere with their privacy and where. That's certainly very prescient, I would say, on their behalf. Oh, I think I think. It's like, okay, yeah, don't interfere with us here at this time. Hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Hmm. That's certainly an interesting aspect of it. I was looking at I was looking at some of the pictures from the coronation itself, and one of the things I noticed, and, and this was kind of shocked me, is they have depicted Camilla as Queen of England, mm-hmm. and that is, as anybody you know, anybody who knows anything about the monarchy knows that that is completely incorrect. She is the Queen Consort, not the Queen of England, the Queen Consort of England. And I cannot mm-hmm. believe that they would have couched it that way. Because, I mean, that's that's a pretty big deal. Well, I had heard, I had heard that, I guess, it was, well, the Queen Elizabeth made her the Queen Consort. She gave her that title, I guess, mm-hmm. or it was to best, I guess, at whatever point Charles became king. And I am guessing maybe it was Charles that just said, eh, let's lose the consort part of this thing. We'll just call you queen. But I, I don't know. I mean, the title thing is so archaic. And, and to me, you know, in this country, I think it seems almost entertaining to look at the fuss that's created over the titles over there but obviously it's of significance to the the british people well i think it's part of their national identity i mean if you recall a few years ago i believe it was back during margaret thatcher's era there was a move afoot to basically get rid of the monarchy in its entirety you know after all uh, correct me if i'm wrong but a england is a parliamentary democracy if i'm not mistaken yeah yeah and Yeah, and, and, and I think that the at this point, the for all practical intents and purposes, the monarchy is essentially a almost mechanism, like perhaps. Uh, I, I was thinking more of a more of a figurehead than than an actual potentate or an actual you know an actual ruler. Their positions are predominantly symbolic in nature, and Parliament and the Prime Minister pretty much take care of everything else. And I, 
You know that you know there was a like I said there was a, a move afoot to get rid of the monarchy, but I mean you know how absolutely dogged the English are in tradition. Oh yeah. You know that's not something that you're going to wrest from them easily. Well, it's probably more a generational thing too. Probably the older you are, the more you are in favor of the monarchy. The younger people are probably less. So mm-hmm. I guess it just remains to be seen how Charles manages to make the monarchy relevant, where people say, yeah, we should keep it. My guess would be that over time, I could see the government sort of streamlining the scope of the monarchy's wealth down. You know, I mean, is it really necessary that they have all these castles? And, you know, why not have one castle? Well, you know what? That was part of the argument. The fact that, uh, I guess, during her lifetime, she pretty much owned most of the land in central London. That was where she collected her revenue. And, you know, she controlled quite a large piece of, like I said, downtown London in in what I believe is now the business district. And that Mm. was principally her source of revenue. I'm not quite clear on whether she was anything from the actual operations of the country, you know, vis-a-vis, I think she probably had a small, how would you put this, just a, almost like a... Stipend? Uh, yeah. And it was only, I, I think I recall seeing something, and, I, and again, I apologize if I'm being materially inaccurate, but she, they were giving her something like $200 million a year. Hmm. And I look at that and I go, now, first and foremost, as a monarch, and in one of, let's say, arguably one of the preeminent monarchies, if not the preeminent monarchy monarchy on the planet at this time and you know all they're giving her is a couple you know 200 million bucks to live on I, I just I see that almost as effectively wiping out the monarchy itself without actually doing anything I mean, you know, how, how do you run you know Windsor and you know Balmoral and all those other places and how do you support staff and you know all that on a, a mere 200 million a year yeah it does seem to be a pittance although I would suspect that if you were given 200 million dollars you could get that benevolent dictatorship of yours up and running pretty quickly well, well, yeah, but understand it's a different, you know, it's an entirely different situation. As a benevolent dictator, I am not going to personally own castles. It's just not going to happen. And I, I get the notion that you you need that tradition, that grounding, that representation of the majesty of the monarchy. But, you know, benevolent dictatorship, much more utilitarian. You know, I'm here to do a job. I'm here to affect real change and lasting change, I might add. And Maybe yeah. what we could do is, uh, with your benevolent dictatorship, get you a very nice RV. And that way you can go around the country and the people can see you and pay homage to you. And mm-hmm. you are much more relevant. You don't have to travel to London or whatever to see the the monarch, you go to the people. And that's certainly a thought. I mean, when I was there in England, we went to, I always get them confused. We went to the castle in, actually in London. And I don't believe that at that time, the that's Windsor, I believe. And I don't believe the queen was in residence at that time, but we went out to the estate and I cannot remember the name of it right now. And she was in fact in residence, and you know, Rhonda and I were there. Nothing, not even an offer of tea. Hmm. You know, and I, and I, I, maybe it was her, maybe it was her failing health, whatever. But it, again, you know, it just seems like the regalness, you know, is certainly you know taking a little bit of a slide here. Well, you know, Adam, maybe what you should have done was just uh, sneak in at night like those other guys that wanted to go talk to the queen. Apparently, that well, worked. There's well, they do. I was thinking about issues. trying to hide in like an armoire or something, you know, but. <laughs> 
you know, I don't know that they had anything quite you know, quite the size to handle that. And of course, you know, well, you what must, do I do with Rhonda? Can't, well, she can't can be let a her version. standing around. You can send her running one direction, and then you go into the Queen's quarters and go chat with her. That's true. Yeah, that's true. You know, Adam, I was going to mention to you. Yeah, you know, I was going to mention to you that you know we have been about all things British this week at the Omaha Bugle, and in celebration of the coronation, we had also ordered some first-rate British cuisine. And so, oh. uh, so we had ordered some bangers and mash, which is a uh, yep. sausage yep. and mashed potatoes. We right. ordered something exotic called tripe, which sounded interesting. I did not know that it's the lining of the stomachs from certain animals. And then the, the uh, coup de gras, if you will, was the haggis that we got, which is uh, basically sheep intestines stuffed with, it's usually stuffed with meat. We didn't really have any meat in the kitchen, so we stuffed it with M&Ms. And uh, it didn't really look that appealing to most of the higher-ups, including myself. So I, I basically just gave it to the interns. And, you know, it, it didn't go over so well. There's still a few of them getting their stomachs pumped over at the hospital. But we tried to show solidarity with the Brits with trying to eat the cuisine. It's just a little tough to, frankly, ingest some of the stuff. When I was in London, I had to treat myself to a traditional English breakfast. And I had the cold toast, the barely warmed-up bacon, which, incidentally, they don't smoke, <laughs> A couple of basically runny eggs, giant mushroom, a half a tomato, and this blood sausage, blood pudding. And we had uh, gone over to, I believe it was, we went over to, I want to say Nice, or yeah, I think we were in Nice at the time. And I ran into a British surgeon, and we, we started, as they say, chatting it up over a pint. And I told him that I had enjoyed a traditional English breakfast the morning before. And he says, so what do you think of it? I said, well, I can live without cold toast. I can live without raw pork strips. The highlight, I think, of the plate was the baked beans. And, you know, tomato, not a fan of baked tomatoes. But he said, well, what'd you think of the blood pudding? And I said, well, you know, ordinarily I like a blood sausage, but this wasn't exactly to my taste. And he said to me, well, you know, that that British accent, he says, well, because, you know, we don't even eat that ourselves. We feed that shit to the tourists. (laughs) That's lovely. (laughs) Well, somebody's got to eat it. Yeah, I was just and I was a victim of that. I, I didn't know that that was the plan. But then, of course, you know, I helped myself liberally to a couple of ESBs, the extra special bitters. You know, beer served at 58 degrees or so. And mm-hmm. yeah, that made up for it. a couple of glasses or a couple of cups of Earl Grey and I was off to the races. But, you know, and every everywhere we went, it was amazing to me, especially in, in London itself. I mean, everybody was you know so uh, accommodating to us Yanks that, you know, I thought that we were still on good footing with the Royals. And, you know, it turns out that wasn't, you know, it wasn't to be. Yeah, it's, it's really unfortunate. And, of course, the only contact we really have is with uh, Prince Andrew, who will remind our listeners, is available for various events, mm-hmm. weddings, funerals, bat mitzvahs, and so forth. You just right. need to let us know ahead of time, and we'll make sure he gets there. Mm-hmm. You may not want to have him at children's birthday parties, though. But, anyways, we were over in England several years ago as well. And I agree with you. They were very, very polite to us. They were very kind. Mm-hmm. A few of them said that they had forgiven us for the Revolutionary War and that we could come back into the fold if we wanted to, which I thought mm-hmm. was very, very nice of them to do that. Yeah. I'm not sure that they could do a worse job governing us than some of the people who are in charge of our affairs these days, so maybe it's worth looking at. Well, you know what? I'm thinking, you know, and, and again, this is purely hypothetical and speculative, but you know, I believe Boris Johnson's available. Oh, oh yeah. 
I think he'd make a lively addition to our uh, our government. Well, he's out of work uh, now too, isn't he? Yeah, exactly. And the but the only challenge is he, you know, obviously he's not a native American, native born American, so he couldn't be president. Well, I thought but you were it, talking about him for the rent, the rent a royal program, which technically. Well, you know what? There's a thought anyways. too. If somebody has an event and, and can't quite pop for Harry or you know whatnot, we could always give him a little Boris Johnson. You know what we could do is most Americans are so ignorant about most of the royals, anyways. We could just pass him off as Prince Bob. You know, maybe he's the uh, brother of Prince Andrew. Now, who's going to know over here? Well, that's true, too. The lesser-known brother, the one yeah. that stayed out yeah, of the, the, the royal limelight. Interesting. The one that they kept hidden away from public all these years. In the Tower of London? <laughs> well, or one of those places, sure. <laughs> or, yeah, or, I was going to say, somewhere a little less provocative. Well, you know, I've got a question that, that has been looming large in my mind. Given the nature of this coronation and, and of the new cast of characters, what do you see for the monarchy going forward. I mean, do you think that Charles is going to be able to step up and be able to kind of rein in the decline of the royals? Or is it going to be just a continuation of, or maybe even a worsening of the majesty that once was the monarchy? Well, I think Charles is probably trying to do whatever he can to make the monarchy seem relevant. And I mean, they've always been in the PR business. They've always been in the role of showing up at various events and whether it's at a factory or a school or whatever. I mean, that's that's a lot of the job is to be involved in those sorts of essentially public relations events. And I would expect that would con- continue because that's frankly a big part of what makes them even seem relevant. But I, I would not be surprised if over time the royal holdings start to get stripped down and it becomes more like a more even even more ceremonial as you have in some of these other smaller European countries where they still have a monarchy, but it you know it's not particularly opulent or anything. It's mm-hmm. you know they have a little castle and so on and so forth. But you know I, I think with Charles' son William and Kate, the public seems to be very fond of them, so mm-hmm. that will probably continue on. You know the I guess the problem is it just seems that it's so fragile that if you you know get a prince that's prince or princess who becomes king or queen at some point who's, you know, shall we say a bad egg, that might be enough to get parliament to abolish the whole thing. So I think, mm-hmm. I just see it as being something where it becomes, they, they want to keep that distance to some degree, but I just don't know that they need to have all of these resources contributing to the maintenance of the lifestyle of, you know, what's really what, a handful of people? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you know, the other thing that just popped into my mind, and this is, this is something that you'll probably recognize immediately, was I don't think Charles... You know, being in the shadow of his mother for, what, 70 years or something? Charles mm-hmm. hasn't had an opportunity, really, to develop into full monarchical maturity, I don't think. Because one of the things I've noticed that's you know, particularly lacking, do you remember how the queen used to wave? Yeah. Oh, yeah. She yeah. had that very distinctive and unique wave. I mean, it was almost, it, I mean, it was her signature wave. You know what I mean? Everybody recognized it. You knew immediately who it was. I, I'd be surprised if it wasn't in some form or fashion, you know, copyrighted or patented. Did or you know I don't know what you could do with a gesture like that, but I don't see Charles as having developed that kind of you know that you know monarchical monarchical expression. He just doesn't seem to have any. It's almost like a tagline. He doesn't seem to have that instantly recognizable something. Well, he's he's unfortunately in the shadow of his mother, and when you're queen for seventy years, that's a pretty hard act to follow. 
And she was beloved. I mean, she was very popular in this country. Oh, yeah. And Charles has always been kind of a footnote, sort of the butt of a lot of jokes. Mm-hmm. And it's, not, it's often been very unfair, too, but he, but a lot of it was, frankly, of his own making, too. You know, the fiascos with his marriage and, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the whole thing with Camilla at that time and everything. So, you know, unfortunately, he kind of stepped in it to a certain degree as well. True. So, but you're right. The queen was known for her wave. She was known for her hats, and she was known for carrying those those purses around. They were the size of I, duffel bags. I was I was going to say you've never seen her without a purse and a hat. My wife has told me that the only thing that's in the purse is like a lipstick and maybe a compact or, you know, just a few minor things. But, you know, the, the, they were big enough you could put a sleeping bag in them, usually. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, uh, I, I, and they they always matched perfectly. That was the other thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was another signature of the Queen. I mean, she was always so well-turned out and well-matched. It was just amazing. I actually enjoyed watching her. But I, again, mm-hmm. back to back to Charles, I don't see that signature monarchy move, you know, something that's going to really distinguish him and set him out as a true monarch. Well, well, given his age, it may be the way he shuffles when he walks. Maybe that will be it. Oh, that's true. That's true. Wasn't you know, sort of yeah, my recollection, the feet up, just sort of moving along, sort of Yeah, my, my recollection was... was it, wasn't, um, oh God, Jeff, I've forgotten his name now. The Queen's husband. Philip. Philip. He had that. Prince Philip. He had that. Yeah, Prince Philip had that shuffle. Well, and, and I think he had some sort of spinal deformity because his, his arms were locked behind his back 24-7. I mean, I never saw his arms in front of his body. Hmm. That's interesting. I'm going to have to look into that. That could have been some kind of condition. But, you know, I just at this point, Jeff, you know, I I wish I certainly wish Charles well and Camilla and the entire royal family during the transition. I just hope that we can see some type of reemergence of the monarchy, you know, some kind of renaissance or flourish you know to kind of mm-hmm. kind of bring it back to its former majesty that's really well, what they i hope too yeah they may have to lock up a few people in the tower though to do that well you know that's the always... price you pay right well listen it, you've got listen if you're gonna be king you've got to do things that would be kingly if you will you know something that that would represent your majesty and, and certainly your wisdom you know as a ruler well you're absolutely right if you can't lock people up what's the point of being king well exactly exactly that's kind of your your royal prerogative just oh i agree you know i agree you know and and i think that i think that tends to add some gravitas to it too i mean if you if you disturb or annoy the king you get to go to the tower and not as a tourist so i think that certainly would you know, fortify that position. Anyhow, listen, Jeff, we are getting to the end of our time today. And, you know, of course, I want to I want to thank you for joining me again. And if anybody needs a Renner Royal, what should they do? Just contact us? Uh, con- contact the Omaha, Omaha Bugle yeah. and backslash Renner Royal if you're going to the website. And uh, we'll see if we can trot mm-hmm. Andrew out to your particular social uh, whenever he needs to be there. Perfect. Perfect. Anyhow, Mr. Weaver, once again from the Global News Network desk, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Ladies and gentlemen, Adam Von Romer and Jeff Weaver, senior correspondents for the Omaha Bugle Global News Network. We wish you a good evening, and we'll talk to you in our next session.